Good morning. How is everybody today? If you have your Bibles, please open them up to Acts chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse number 9 this morning. Hey, I, uh, I hope you guys brought your Holy Ghost pants today. You guys thought you were in a Calvary Chapel, but you're up in a Pentecostal church this morning. We're gonna get, we're gonna get Pentecostal up in here today. We, we are studying the Holy Spirit, and it's right where we are in the scripture, so it's kinda apropos, um, where we are. Listen, I wanna talk to you guys a little bit about our collective church experience. It's something that, you know, I, I feel a little responsible for in the area of, I think one of the things the senior pastor does in a church is that he sets, um, expectations and, um, sets the tone a little bit. And one of the things, you know, one of the cultures that, that we've really worked hard and, and we never want anything to be manufactured or fake. We want everything always to be a genuine move of God's Holy Spirit. I want you guys to remember that term, a genuine, say it with me, genuine move of God's Holy Spirit. So that everything that happens is, is just that, a genuine move of God's Holy Spirit in our midst. One of the things that we desired to create culture-wise when we came here to Tooele was we want to be a church that when we sing, we sing to Jesus. And, and really song choice and, and style and all that stuff is out the window. It, it's, it's preference, it's style, it's, it's not spiritual, or it's, it's the heart that you have that sings directly to Jesus and worships Jesus through the music, through the studying of the word, through our giving, through our sharing, and that we want to create a culture that, you know, one of the staples of our ministry in our church is we want to be a church that when we sing, we sing to Jesus. Amen? Everybody's on page with that? And now the second thing is that, you know, I, I never want to create a go-through-the-motions culture. And, and, and part of what we do as, as Christ followers is we go to church. And, and, and if you're like me, um, I, I go to church religiously. My wife grew up going to church religiously. Like, you know, the kids that live in my house, sometimes I talk to parents that got teenage kids, and, and they're not with them, and they say, oh, I couldn't get them out of bed this morning, or they didn't want to come to church. And I was like, really? Good thing that kid didn't live in my house. Because he wouldn't be living in my house anymore. <laughs> you, 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 you know, if you're living under my roof, you are coming to church. And I say, oh, you don't want to go to church? You don't have to go to church. You just have to find some other place to live. As long as you live here, you're going to church. I mean, that's the way I am. I grew up just that it's something we do. But listen, what can happen, and I know with a lot of you faces I see every week that are just faithful and 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 I, I see in you guys that we we can because we come to church religiously, what can happen if we're not careful is church can become check the box. Church can become something that we we come to and, and every time I preach, when I'm preaching, I, you guys know I'm constantly saying what? Okay, I'm almost done. I'm gonna land this plane. We're coming down, we're we're approaching the runway, we're five more minutes. Oh, give me two more minutes. Like and I'm so conscious of your time because the ex- expectation, right, is that church gets out at eleven thirty. And, and 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 then the and then if, if church gets out at eleven thirty, you know, we, we gotta get to the restaurant before the Methodist church does, right? We don't want to wait in line, so we got to get out on time. And, you know, I say amen, and we, we mass exodus for the door. And, and we go through this motion in, in church. And, again, n- never nothing wrong with when you guys got schedules, things to do, places to be. By the way, just FYI, this is a squirrel. Um, we have a staff service we do at 830. If you have a Sunday and you got something going on in the afternoon and you still want to come to church, um, we just do the Bible study part of it. We don't do worship or anything. Um, it's about 45 minutes. We meet in the in the youth room. You, you're welcome. Everybody's welcome if you want to catch the service and, and you got something you need to do Sunday afternoon. But again, what what, I, what I'm afraid of, and what I just want to kind of kind of throw out as a family talk this morning before we get into our Bible study, is that I want to make sure that we don't create a culture that's a check the box culture. I want to make sure that we come every one of us each week expecting God to do something in our hearts and lives. Because I really, really, really believe this. And I'm not just saying this. I believe this from the bottom of my heart. That, that we get out what we expect. That God does in your life what you expect him to do. And, and if we come never expecting God to do anything different or anything supernatural or special, then guess what's going to happen? Probably nothing. Probably not a lot of supernatural and special and, and real divine appointments in your life from God. 
And again, I'm not talking about being super weird spiritual. I'm talking about just an attitude that has an expectancy that really believes God can and will and wants to do something unique and special in our hearts and lives. You know, why am I sharing that, th- sharing that this morning? Because I guess where we are in the scriptures, something really crazy and supernatural is going to happen to the apostles and the disciples when God pours his Holy Spirit out upon them. And again, it has to be a genuine move of God's Holy Spirit. And I don't want to, I can't manufacture that, but I want to see that from time to time in our church where, where, where God, and it has to happen where you and I, we come with an open heart and we say to God as we get ready, you know, get up an extra five minutes on Sunday morning and pray and say, God, will you meet me at church today? Will you deal with this issue in my life? Will you bring somebody in my life as, you know, Matt was sharing that, that, that if you have those issues, if that's the day that you're having where, yeah, things aren't going great today, that you can come and you can find somebody here that you can share that with, somebody that you can open up to, somebody that you can ask to pray for you. You know, we started a kind of a new function here in our ministry where we're having our prayer ministry go into the conference room after services and inviting folks that would like individual and special prayer to be able to go into the conference room and receive that prayer. And today is a special day. We're going we're gonna to give you guys that invitation at the end of service today that if, if you do have something special going on in your life or, you know, or you just want to say yes to Jesus, that you'll have opportunity to respond. And we're going to give you an opportunity at the end of the service today to respond. And so um, let's, let's be expectant. And, and just the last little housekeeping thing. Um, usually where we have opportunity and where we've kind of, and I know we can't like program the Holy Spirit, but we, it's, it's right at the end of the service. When we give the altar call, we sing that last song. That's kind of at the point where, where the, the Holy Spirit begins to move on people's hearts and lives. And so if a bunch of people are moving and parts start going all over the place, it can become distracting to the work the Holy Spirit wants to do in somebody's heart and life. If the service is over, and, and again, I don't want to make any rules and make you feel like you can't leave, you've got to leave. But um, if we could just, again, a culture, if, if we come expecting and we, we, we use that last song and that last part of the service to, um, to seek the Lord, to let, to let God reflect on maybe something that, was, that God spoke to you or the Holy Spirit spoke to you through the sermon. Amen? We good? You guys forgive me for that rant? We're all right? We're moving on? Is my zipper down? (laughs) Okay. See, God keeps you humble, baby. God is so good. I saw her freaking out over there. And I was like, well, okay, I'm just going to keep going, you know? All right. God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. Just when you thought you were like preaching, baby. All right. Um, should we pray or just open our Bibles or someone want to bring me a drink of water? Father, we come before you, and God, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for Jesus. We pray, Father, for the message and for the the place in the word that we're going to study. And God, that we would understand um, the moving of your spirit in our church and in our place, God. And we want all that you have for us, Jesus. We don't want to be weird. We don't want to be manufactured. But God, we don't want to be afraid to allow the Holy Spirit to move within our services. And God, to, to, um, Lord, just have your way in each one of our hearts, God. The Bible says that um, everything that we do in this, in this regard should be done decently and in order. And so I pray, Father, that we would never get out of order. We would never get unbiblical with anything that we do. Lord, everything that we do, we, we could be able to say, as Peter said, this is where it says that in the Bible, this is why we do this, this is why we do that, because in this chapter, in this verse, in this place, is the reason for what we do in our church. And God, um, as we study this chapter and this verse today, that we would have a reason to, to say yes to Jesus and invite your Holy Spirit to minister in our hearts and lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 1, verse number 8 is where we left off last week with power. So um, Jesus has um, died on the cross. He rose again. Fifty days later at the Feast of Pentecost, he's asked the disciples to meet together in a room in Jerusalem and to tarry ye there, the King James says, or wait there until you're endued with this power from on high, this promise of the Holy Spirit that that Jesus was going to give his disciples. What's interesting about Jesus' request for the disciples to go to Jerusalem and tarry and wait for the Holy Spirit is that just days earlier, maybe weeks earlier, he had, he had given them the Holy Spirit. In John's Gospel and recorded also in Luke's Gospel, Jesus meets them on the beach and 
He's cooking fish and they come to the shore. And in that set, Jesus breathes on them and says to the disciples, receive ye the Holy Spirit. So they received the Holy Spirit in in the end of the gospel. And then he tells them after that, go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. What do you mean wait for the Holy Spirit? You just gave us the Holy Spirit. Because there's something more I want to do in your heart and life. There's something more, there's power from on high that I want to give you. Acts chapter 1, 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so we see this unique and yet third experience that we detailed last week of the work of the Holy Spirit biblically in our lives. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit, the Bible identifies, Jesus said, that the Holy Spirit would convict you of sins. And so the Holy Spirit gently and lovingly, and we talked about last week, I can't preach it again this week, the difference between conviction and condemnation, two completely different things. One's of Satan, one's of God. Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who love God and are called according to his purposes. So the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin. He calls you and he draws you before you're, you're, you're a believer in Jesus. This first work, it's called para. It's a Greek word that means the Holy Spirit comes alongside you and works in your heart to draw you unto faith in Jesus. And when you make the decision, when you by faith, you believe and you receive and you say yes to Jesus, come into my heart, be my Lord and Savior. At that point, John 21, Jesus then breathes on you and fills you with the Holy Spirit. And nobody's born again apart from everybody who's born again has placed their faith in Jesus, receives the filling of the Holy Spirit at your born again moment. And yet, the Bible describes here in Acts that there's yet a third experience that God wants you and I to have with the Holy Spirit. We, we, can, we can mix terms and we can get sideways on what the term is, but let's not do that. Let's just believe because it's biblical and understand that there is a third experience that God wants us to have. We call it here, it's called here in Acts 1, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Unique from the filling of the Holy Spirit, this is like a next level. This is um, described as a P. It's, it's a Greek word that means the Holy Spirit will come upon you and overflow you. It's as if you took a bucket of water and you put a hose in it. Eventually the hose will fill the bucket and then it will overflow it and affect the environment that it's around. And that's what God wants to do in your life as a Christ follower is is use his Holy Spirit and the power of his Holy Spirit for you to affect your environment by becoming an effective witness for Jesus Christ. And part of accomplishing that, God lists in the Bible what we call the gifts of the Spirit. Everybody say the gifts. Now, Christmas is coming. How many of you guys are looking forward to maybe a gift you're going to get? Nobody? You guys are all real spiritual people. You're all looking forward to the gifts you're going to give, right? Forget what you get. Like, you're really more excited about you get to give this Christmas. Because Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. But in, in these gifts, there's nine of them listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There's other gifts and other ways to kind of package this, but if we just go with 1 Corinthians 12, others, others listed in Romans, that the nine gifts that are offered, if your parents came to you or you came to your children on Christmas and you had nine presents in front of them and they began to open them and after about two or three they said, I don't want those other presents, I'm not going to take those. You're like, why not? What's wrong with them? I don't like them. I'm afraid of them. They scare me. I'm afraid uh, something weird will happen if I open them. I don't want those gifts. You say, what's wrong with me that you won't receive this gift that I'm giving you? And, and, and God is offering to us these gifts of the Holy Spirit. And what we're going to talk about today is that exact attitude that, that, that is willing to say this to God. God, I want all that you have for me. Do, do, if, you know, if, if my son wouldn't open the present, I would say, do you think that I put something bad in there. Is that why? Oh, maybe there's maybe there's anthrax or there's something terrible in there that's going to hurt me. and I'm not going to open it. Will I give you something terrible? And, and as God offers you and I gifts, if we, we can trust him. Listen, you can trust that God's not going to give you something that's going to hurt your life or bum you out or that's something that's bad for you. God wants to give you good gifts. Last week we read Luke eleven nine right, that says that if you being an evil person know how to give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask? He says, if you're, how many of you, if your son asks you for a piece of bread, will you hand him a rock and say, here, gnaw on this, kid? You won't do that. And God says, well, I won't either. 
I'll give you good gifts. And, and packaged within this baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're going to see there's varying gifts that God gives to each one. Check it out. As he wills. The gift of tongues is not for everybody. The gifts of, it's not even the best gift. The gift of prophecy, um, the different gifts, the gifts of generosity, the gifts that we're going to see, the nine different gifts that we'll read in 1 Corinthians 12. He says he gives to each one according to his will. So God is going to give you because he loves you and he wants what's best for you. And, and I, I'm, I'm kind of overemphasizing this, please, because I, I, I have a heart that's like, I don't want us to make a huge mistake in walking with Jesus here in this ministry, in this church, in our lives. Because I, I hear it all the time. I hear it all the time. Oh, that gift's not for me. I don't want that. And no matter which one of the nine it is. Oh, no, that, that yeah, yeah, I can, but not that one. I'm, I don't want that gift. What do you mean you don't want that gift? <laughs> you know, like, just, just don't, don't have that attitude. Just say, God, whatever you want for me, I believe that you know what's best for me. I believe you're a good, good father. I don't for a second believe that you're going to give me a gift that's full of poison or an apple that's full of razor blades. So any gift that you give me, God, I will receive it. Can you guys at least say that with me today? That whatever gift God wants to give you, you want it. You down? Some people still aren't sure. I'll take your gift. Give it to me. I'll have two. All right. So Acts chapter um, 1, verse number 9 says, Now, it says, Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, he went up. Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, two angels, who said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. This is what we call the ascension of Jesus. It's also recorded in Luke's gospel. Um, so this is after 50 days, right? Pentecost means 50. The word Pentecost, it was one of the seven major Jewish feasts. It's the birthday of the early church. So on this particular, after this, Jesus ascended into heaven and the disciples got to watch him go into heaven. And as they're standing there looking up in heaven, all of a sudden appear two angels in, in Bethany. This is the place in Israel where uh, Mary and Martha lived, where Lazarus was raised from the grave. And the two angels say to the disciples, men of Galilee, why are you standing here looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who went up will also come back. You guys know Jesus is coming back? He's coming back. And the Bible's really clear. You don't got to read Chinese or get a magnifying glass in your Bible to find out that the Bible is super clear a hundred times in the New Testament one way or another that Jesus is coming back. But here's the deal. You know, one of the things, especially within Calvary Chapel, we're kind of like a rapture crazy church because in the 70s when the, when the Jesus movement was happening and thousands and thousands upon thousands of hippies were coming to faith in Jesus in the last great revival in the United States, started in Southern California and spread all the way to New York. And that whole generation of folks that were living free love and free sex and, and, and lifestyle, uh, what's that band that they follow? The Grateful Dead Lifestyle for, for all that time who were very empty and God poured his spirit out. It made the cover of Time magazine. It was all over the news. It was a big, big deal. It was the last great revival in the, in the United States called the Jesus Movement. And Calvary Chapel was born out of that. And those hippies that were coming out of the Jesus movement, they, they studied the Bible and Chuck Smith taught them all the Bible and, and they believed that Jesus was coming back. And they believed he was coming back any moment, any time. And that the Bible taught that Jesus could come back at any moment. The Bible says that if we live our lives in such a way that, that we believe Jesus could come back at any moment, it purifies how we live. You know, there's seven crowns that, that you can get um, in heaven as a reward. The Bible talks about seven rewards that God will give you called seven crowns. The only one of them I don't want is the martyr crown. There's a crown for the martyrs. But one of the seven crowns is, is a crown for those who love is appearing. For those who look forward to the appearing of Jesus Christ, that we live with expectancy, that Jesus could come back at any moment. The Bible is clear. You know, for a thousand years, the prophecies were clear and the world lived in expectation that God was going to send a Messiah. Did God fulfill his promise? Little baby born in a manger. And he fulfilled thousand years of expectation. 
And that same baby that was born in a manger and that same expectation we live under today because the Bible is immensely and super clear that Jesus is coming back. I believe he's coming back in a rapture and that he's going to take the bride of Christ before the seven-year tribulation period. And so the, the, the issue, though, is that, you know, sometimes what can develop in some really rapture-ready churches is that, um, oh, man, I just, Jesus is coming back soon. Let's go charge the credit cards. Let's go have some fun. Let's go to Hawaii and, you know, quit our jobs. And that, that's not the concept or the idea at all. The Bible says, occupy till I come. Yeah, he's coming back. But in the meantime, guess what, y'all? Get to work. There's work to be done. There's people who are dying and going to hell. There, 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 there's, a, there's a gospel that needs preached and people that need loved and people that need fed and taken care of and delivered. And so, yes, he's coming back and we should live rapture ready. But in the meantime, there's lots of work to be done. So stay busy with the, the work of the Lord. You know, when, when they went out of Babylon, the Lord told them, um, when you get there, he said, have children, plant vineyards, build houses, live as if you're going to be there forever. And so we live that way. And so the, that's the message of these angels to the disciples. Yes, he's coming back, but in the meantime, there's work to be done. In verse 12, it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. They all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. And so we have listed there 11 of the 12 disciples. Obviously, we know which one is missing. Who? Judas Iscariot. He went out and hung himself. Um, and so they're there in the upper room. They're waiting for this promise of the Holy Spirit that, um, that um, Jesus told them was coming. And as they're there, I want you to notice in verse 14, it says that Mary, um, the mother of Jesus, was with them. So we see Mary here. And um, for anybody that's got a Catholic background, um, Mary was a Pentecostal. She was she was in the upper room getting ready to speak in tongues and she was partying and praying and hanging out with the disciples. You know, the, this is the last mention of Mary um, in the Bible. The last recorded words of Mary were recorded in John's gospel in chapter two. The last things that was recorded that came out of her mouth. And it was when Jesus turned the water into wine. And the very last words that Mary ever said was, whatever Jesus tells you to do, do that. And here we notice that she's among the disciples, but she's not leading them. They're not praying to her. She's a part of them, and she's she's special, but she's not the focal point. And so, you know, I I think the Bible encourages that we we direct our prayers to Jesus. And then um, uh, Peter's going to bring up a problem here in verse 15 that says, And in those days Peter stood in the midst of the disciples altogether, and the number of the names was about 120, and said, Men and brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who, who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity and falling headlong, he burst in the middle and all his entrails gushed out. So we have two different accounts of Peter. Um, in, in another place in the Bible, it says that Peter went out and did what? Oh, gosh, I did that in the early service over and over and over again. Judas, I'm sorry. Judas, Judas, Judas. Um, here it says that his, he, he, his entrails gushed out. In another place in the Bible, it says Judas went out and hung himself, Right. So which was it? Is there a contradiction in the Bible? We can just all go home because the Bible's got contradictions. Oh, by the way, if you find a contradiction, we can definitely go home because it has to all be true. And, and by the way, it is all true. I, I should on, on the church's on the church's Facebook. You guys should check them out today. I'll try to remember to share them. But um, you know, I, I often don't share them because they're so common. But this week, something just grabbed my attention because there was two major stories that came out of Israel today or this week. One of the stories was um, in Hezekiah in first, first Kings 18 and 19, second Kings, first Kings or second Kings 18 and 19. There's this battle um, with the Assyrians where 120,000 Assyrians are killed overnight. Well, they, they found archaeologically in Israel recently a discovery that proves that whole thing. There's so much evidence there that the, the coins, the, the artifacts, the walls, everything is there and discovered um, recently. 
And then, and then just after that, I seen another article um, where they found the wall that Nehemiah built in Nehemiah 4. They were excavating a wall and taking the, the stones apart because the wall was going to fall apart and they were going to put modern mortar on it. So the archaeologists were documenting where every stone went and taking them apart. And when they got it down to, to rebuild it, when they got to the bottom, they found the actual wall. And they know who in Nehemiah built it and at what time. It's there. It's all there. You know, and these stories aren't, aren't rare. It's not like I share it because, oh, this is so rare. Hundreds, hundreds. The last one I shared because I thought it was funny. They found a bunch of toilets from the, um, from, from, from the Old Testament. But again, just to say this, just as a little side note, to say that your Bible that's in your lap is history. It's real. You can count on it. Every story is proven. Every artifact is there. Every coin, every civilization, every king that's ever mentioned. Over and over and over and over and over and over again, archaeology and history proves it that they're not fairy tales they're truth they're actual people they're actual events and never one time does archaeology or history um contradict anything that the word of god says because it's true and if it's true the evidence will be there right if it's true there'll probably be some bones on the top of gomorrah all right stop um maybe a wagon wheel a sword something um, verse number 20, let's go there. It says, for it is written in the book of Psalms. This is Peter talking. Let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it and let another take his office. For of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, whose surname was Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and they said, You, O Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which of these two you have chosen to take part in the ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So we, we I'm sorry, guys, I asked you a question, and then I got sidetracked. Um, Judas went out and hung himself, is what it says. Apparently what happened is he hung himself um, on a tree, the branch broke, he was near some rocks or something that he was able to, he rolled down the side of a hill, the rocks cut him, and, it, and his entrails gushed out. So yes, there's two stories in there that seem contradictory, but they're not. They both make total sense um, for Peter, so now, or for Judas. So now as we're seeing here, Peter is basically telling the other uh, 11 disciples, 10 disciples, that um, Judas fell, we have to replace him. And then he comes to a, a verse in the Psalms that if you just read the Psalms without the New Testament commentary, you wouldn't realize that this was a prophecy about Judas. But it is, and that Judas would need to be replaced. So the apostles come up with this plan to choose two people that meet the criteria and then to cast lots, or in other words, shortest straw, or flip a coin, basically. Kind of way to divine the will of God. And they did pray, but nowhere is there any mention that, that God spoke to them. As we go through the book of Acts, you're going to find things where the will of God is so conclusive in their lives. Paul concluding that God called us to preach the gospel knowing that there was a call to go to Macedonia. He's seen a man in a vision calling him to Macedonia. Peter sees a vision of a white sheet coming down, and he's called to bring the gospel to Cornelius and the Gentiles. So nowhere after this do you see this kind of practice. You always see where the Holy Spirit is directing and guiding and leading and speaking to the hearts of men and women, and they know God's will. You can know God's will. And the practice of flipping coins and divining God's will as Christ followers, listen, people, it was kind of permitted in the Old Testament. And there were some outlying circumstances, right? They didn't have the entire counsel of God's word. They, they didn't have um, Jesus dying on a cross and raising again in Acts chapter 2 of God pouring out his Holy Spirit upon all flesh. And so they had things. The priest had these two stones in his pouch. They were called the Urim and the Thurum. Umum and the Thumum. The Urim and the Thumum. They were a black and a white stone. And he would kind of, you know, he would ask a question and, and they would pull one out. And the black one meant something and the white one meant something. Or they would, they would cast lots, which means basically they would the shortest straw. You remember Gideon? Gideon put out what we call a fleece to determine God's will in his life. 
And what he did was he put some cotton outside and he said, God, if this is your will, let in the morning the cotton be soaking wet and all the water around it be dry. And he came out the next morning to discern God's will and God granted him that fleece and the cotton, sure enough, was soaking wet and all the ground around it was dry. And then Gideon said, well, Lord, is that you? Maybe that was just science. Tomorrow, let the cotton be dry and all the ground around it be wet. And then I'll know it's your will. And so God granted, he came out the next morning, the cotton was dry, the ground around it was wet. But again, these kind of um, weird ways of discerning God's will. And I think sometimes we're all guilty of it a little bit. You know, we, we see a bumper sticker or some flash or some sign and we think that's God's way of, of giving us his will. And we definitely don't want to be guilty of this practice of casting lots or um, rolling dice that God is very good at speaking to you. Amen? God can speak to your heart. He can let you know what his will is. And by the Holy Spirit, he wants to guide and lead you. One of the ways he guides and speaks to me more than any is through the word of God. As I read the word and as I know God's will through the word of God in my life. And it'll speak to me that way. So I think these guys maybe the, the argument here, and I got to get moving, but I'll just tell you in a skinny. The argument here is that Peter was a little presumptuous. He only gave God two choices. You guys ever give God only two choices? What if God says, I want to get one of those. I chose something else. And so they only gave God two choices and didn't give God the opportunity to say, no, I got somebody else for the job. And then they cast lots. So they didn't, again, hear it from their hearts. And then Matthias, all the other 11 disciples, they really made a splash on the world. They, they, they literally brought the gospel to every outer lying part of the world from India to Africa, all over the place. These 11 guys ended up. Ten of them were martyred for their faith. Only John died of old age. And Matthias, you never really hear anything about him. No story. Not, not one more mention of him in the book of Acts. And who is the entire book of Acts going to be about? Paul. Paul calls himself an apostle. You know, I don't know why it all, all really matters too much other than there's a pretty interesting verse in um, Revelation. If you guys like to flip, you can flip there. Revelation 21. If not, hang on. I'll be right back. Revelation 21 in verse 14, it says, Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the lambs. So the, the names of the 12 apostles. Actually, look at verse 12. We'll just catch it in context. So it's talking about New Jerusalem, the new, new heaven, eternal heaven, where we're going to spend eternity. And it says, Also she, speaking of new, new Jerusalem, had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and the names written on them. And, and which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. So 12 gates around the New Jerusalem. And on each of the gates is written one of the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. So the 12 tribes are eternal. That's something that will last through all of eternity. And then there's 12 foundations under these 12 gates. And in verse 14 it says, um, Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations. On them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So... Paul, I mean, Peter and James and John and, and, the, and the disciples will be there. The question will be on that 12th stone, will it say Matthias or Paul? <laughs> I personally, you know, or Eileen, that, that I believe that it was Paul, that Paul was the one God called, that the apostles um, jumped the gun a little bit. Now, really quickly, people ask, because people ask, is, is the office of apostle, like, like these 12, is it still functioning today? Do we still have modern day apostles like Peter and James and John? Well, I will say this for sure. There's only 12 names written on the foundations of heaven. So in that sense, there, it's a closed deal, right? There's not, it says right there in Revelation 21, the names of the 12 apostles will be written on the very foundations of the gates of heaven. So that's a closed office. There's only 12, and they're already there. We, can, we know who 11 of them are. We can argue about the 12th one. But now, sometimes I think in the church and, and, and over history, we might see what we call like the, the ministry of an apostle, where, where, where you know, none of them, and also you can't meet the criteria that's laid out here to be an apostle, but, but we do see men that God has used over history that have um, ministries that are large and that affect many people in different continents and, and lots of lives where, where they have the impact of an apostle, where God speaks to them um, in, in such a way that, that it's, it's, it's prophetic. And so, um, but the office itself is closed. Amen? All right, chapter 2 um, says, we're just going to get through, I'm going to try to get through 12 verses, you guys. It says, 
when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So now we're here. We're to the big crescendo. It's the day of. It's 50 days later. They've gone to Jerusalem. They got together in this um, upper room and, and they've been praying and hanging out and loving on one another. 120 people in one accord. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Now, I just want to tell you, Pentecost is a feast that's observed in Israel to this day. It's, the, it's a, like our Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter. They, they have seven major Jewish feasts. Well, God uses these biblically, these feasts. And, and, you know, I should be careful because nowhere in the Bible do they say they're Jewish feasts. They're only called the feasts of the Lord. But every one of them is a prophetic model that God fulfilled, that Jesus fulfilled perfectly and exactly on the day of the feast. So Jesus was, he died on Passover. He was the Passover lamb. The first of the seven major feasts, which, which um, is around our April time. And then on unleavened bread, Jesus was buried and Jesus was without sin. And uh, unleavened bread is a representation of without sin. Leaven represents sin in the Bible. That's why we take communion with unleavened bread, because it represents the body of Jesus that was without sin. And, and, and then the third of the feast is first fruits. And Jesus rose again from the dead on first fruits. He fulfilled the first three feasts, holy days, holidays to the Lord, exactly on the day of the, of the feast. He was crucified on Passover. He was buried on first fruits. He rose again, or he was buried on unleavened bread. He rose again on first fruits. Fifty days later, exactly on the day, he fulfilled the, the fourth of them, which is Pentecost. Pentecost is a feast in June. It's a harvest festival. They celebrate it with the wheat harvest and giving the Lord thanks for a good harvest. It happens around June time. It was one of the major feasts that people were to travel to Jerusalem for. And, and so um, then the, the third, the three remaining feasts of the seven make this prophetic model. The fifth one and the next one up and coming where we are right now, we're in between the fourth and the fifth. The, the fifth, sixth, and seventh are what we call the fall feasts. They happen around September, October. And the next one prophetically is the Feast of Trumpets. And the Feast of Trumpets, it, it coincides not necessarily with the rapture because that creates a problem if you put the, the rapture on the day of the Feast of Trumpets. Then we know what the day and hour is. It's on the Feast of Trumpets. And Jesus can only come back in September, October. And if he doesn't, we'll just party through December, February, and be good again when we know he's coming. And that that just doesn't work. No man knows the day or the hour. But the Feast of Trumpets, it's about the second coming of Jesus. And then after that, we have Atonement. Yom Kippur is the sixth, and Tabernacle is the seventh, the the thousand-year reign of Christ. Fascinating study, the seven um, holy days unto the Lord, the seven major feasts of the Lord, um, the prophetic model. We could spend weeks in it. Fascinating, fascinating, powerful study and prophetic model. Um, but that's not what we're doing today. So this is Pentecost, the fourth one being fulfilled. This is what we call um, happy birthday to you and I. This is the birthday of the church. And so the church is born. And suddenly there came, verse 2, a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Everybody say own language. Okay, that's key. In his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all those who speak Galileans? How is it then we hear them each in our own language, again in verse 8, in which we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judah, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our third time. Own, lang- own tongues, the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? So the Holy Spirit falls on the church. Now gathered there on the Feast of Pentecost, this great day of the, of the birth of the Bride of Christ. 
They're, there's, they're all Jews. Now listen, the only Jews got saved on this day. The, church, the, the gospel went first to the Jews. Not until Acts chapter 10 where the gospel goes to, to Gentiles and becomes a worldwide, multi-ethnic um, movement of God. In this season, until Acts chapter 10, the gospel's going exclusively to the Gentiles. So the, or to the Jews. So these are, but these are Jews from all over the world. We read the list. But they spoke different languages. You know, if they were Jews that were living in Mexico, they spoke Spanish. If there were Jews that were living in China, they spoke Chinese. If there were Jews living in the United States, they spoke English. Well, as the Holy Spirit fell, this, and notice too, it says the sound of a, or like a rushing wind, like a fire. You, you see people draw a picture of the day of Pentecost. And it's this weird picture of this like tongue, a literal tongue that's split in two, sitting on someone's head that's on fire. That's not what John is describing. If you just read it literally, but he's, again, he doesn't have, he can't say it's a halogen light or it was a bright light like a halogen. He, he just uses terms that he has to describe it. And it's a, it's a, it's a move of God's Holy Spirit. And the word wind in the Bible is the same word for spirit. They're synonymous as you see them in Hebrew and in Greek. In Hebrew, we have um, the word ruach and in the Greek, it's pneuma. And, and these, this, they both mean spirit. They both mean wind. And so the wind comes through and men um, that, are, that are there, they begin to, to speak in, um, what have we read many times? And people heard them in their own language. So listen, I just want to be clear here with this. We're, we're going to talk about and we'll teach what the Bible teaches about the gift of speaking in tongues in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is different. Um, when you speak in tongues, um, when you're praying to God through a gift that God gives you, um, it's, it, the Bible says sometimes tongues of men and sometimes tongues of angels. But it's something that you don't understand. It's not necessarily an understandable dialect. But in this particular instance here when the church is born, when they began to speak in tongues, people heard them clearly in their own languages. But they didn't speak those languages. That was the miracle. Like I began just to really praise the Lord in, in Chinese or some language that I don't speak. And people were there of that ethnicity who were just amazed because they were hearing the most beautiful, eloquent, articulate praises of God being, being given up as these men um, and women began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit fell. Now, if you turn with me to... Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, real quick. I've got to highlight a few things for you. So this here is, is a different issue. And this is the one we spoke of earlier about you and I not being afraid to receive the gift that God wants to give you. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this is where we come to the list of the um, gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, listen, the gift is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How do you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Now, hopefully we're all tracking. I know it's getting late, but I got to make sure you guys are staying with me for another couple minutes. Okay. How do you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You ask. Okay. The same way that you asked Jesus, you invited Jesus into your heart, you believed and by faith you, you, you received Jesus to take over your life, to come into your life, to be your Lord and Savior. The same way that you believed by faith you, you believe and you ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. So the baptism we've already identified as a separate experience from being born again, right? You're already born again. Holy Spirit's already come aside you. You've already invited him in. And now that third experience is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's the gift. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the gift in your life. Now, as you receive that, what we're going to read here is that God is going to give to different people different abilities to help you be a witness for Jesus, because the whole power of the Holy Spirit is to make you a witness, is to make you more effective in your witness of Jesus, for, for people to look at you and see something that they desire, for people to look at you, and not because you've got a hat or a t-shirt or a bumper sticker on to tell that you're a Christian, but they can look at you and genuine see, genuinely see love. They can genuinely see that you're different, that you care. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit and those gifts that God gives you. Well, what are those gifts that God wants to give you to help you be a better witness and a better Christ follower? Let's look at them. Um, and then we're going to wrap up, okay? In verse 12, or chapter 12, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Why does the Bible say that? Because we're ignorant in this topic. The areas where he most wanted us to understand the best, we struggle with those. Um, I... 
you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus the curse, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, there are diversities of gifts. Everybody say diversities. But the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries. Everybody say differences. But the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Now, just take that and understand that God gives you gifts for the profit of all. Like, we're a part of a body here, right? That's the way God describes the local church, that we all are a body. And within the body, everybody has to do their part. So the gifts that you receive from God, they benefit us all. So when you reject the gifts that God wants to do in your heart and life, maybe God's given you a real gift of encouragement and or a gift of prophecy, and yet you're, you're afraid for some reason that you don't want to go share with somebody. You don't want to go to pray for somebody. You don't want to go up to a stranger and, and encourage them or, or be obedient. Like we suffer if, if you know, you're not willing just to step out and let God use the gifts that he's given you because they're for all of us. And then when we receive them, they profit uh, the rest of the body of Christ. And in verse eight, it says, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit. OK, I'm going to hold my fingers up. That's one word of wisdom, the word of knowledge through the same spirit, another faith by the same spirit, another. I'm sorry, did I count faith healings by the, to another working of miracles? prophecy, discerning of spirits to another different kinds of tongues. That's where we get speaking in tongues and, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. So I got them, nine of them, nine gifts that are listed there. But then look what it says in verse number 11, but one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as capital H as God wills. So listen, God, God has gifts for you. And part of it is, how do you get those gifts? You ask. You believe by faith. It's not something you do. You don't do anything to earn this stuff that God wants to give you. If you earn it, it's not a gift. It's a wage. If you earn it, it's, 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 it's a paycheck. And, and then it takes away from what God wants to do in blessing you. And, and, and not all of us are going to receive. Not, not one person will get all nine of these gifts. And for because of a healthy body and within our body, God's going to identify some people and give them gifts that we all need. And for some of you, you know, speaking in tongues becomes a, a, a stumbling block because of bad experiences or, or being weirded out or not understanding it. And we, and, and we begin to pull back and, and reject the idea that we don't want these gifts or we don't want God to, to put his Holy Spirit on us and us start acting weird. Like I'm going to be in the Walmart checkout line and I'm just going to start spouting out in tongues and prophesying and trying to heal people, you know, and I can't control myself if, if I give myself to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to walk up to the cashier and smack him on the head and say, you've been healed and something weird's going to happen. But listen, God's not going to do that. It's not the way it works. He's, you're a child that he is so madly in love with that he just wants to give you what will help you be a better witness for him. That'll give you power in your life to be a better person, to enjoy life a little more, to have the power that you need to have faith. And so why, again, would we say, no, I don't want that. I don't want what you have. And if, if God has for you the gift of tongues, you know, that, that one's easy, to be honest with you guys, because you're not supposed to speak in tongues in front of other people. Tongues is a private gift that God says, if, if I give it to you, you can only use it when you're alone in your room and by yourself. So nobody ever has to hear it. It's cool. You could hide. But if he gave you the gift of prophecy, now you've got to go talk to people. and You've got to go tell people, hey, I believe God told me to tell you. Or, hey, I have this word of prophecy that, that God gave me that I want to share with you. I don't know why we're so afraid of tongues when prophecy is way more scarier. But prophecy is a way better gift, the Bible says. But whatever it is, that's my message today. Amen. Whatever it is, whatever God has chosen to give you, are you willing today to say yes to Jesus for that gift. I'm going to challenge you in that answer. And I'm going to ask today as a church, we're going to have Matt, he's going to come back up. Um, we're going to have Matt right now, dude. I don't know. He just, I didn't get a chance to talk to him today before he got here, but he doesn't look like himself today. He mentioned real quickly about a little surgery or something, so I'm not going to probe him on that. But um, 
I just don't seem totally like yourself today. Father God, we thank you so much for Matt. Lord, we thank you for him being here. We thank you for his life and his ministry, God. We thank you for his gift to do music, his heart for you, Jesus. We pray healing over him, God. We pray blessing over him, Lord. And uh, Lord, that he also would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that he would receive a filling of the Holy Spirit. That, Lord, he would receive all the gifts that you have for him. We ask blessing over Matt. We thank you that he's here giving our worship team a much-needed day off. And we thank you for our worship team. And, Lord, just, just bless that they could enjoy today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to do a come forward altar call here today. And basically, we're just going to ask folks to, to put a little feet to your faith. You know, it's one thing to sit in your seat and just say, yes, I want all that the Holy Spirit has for me. Jesus never called anybody privately. There was a reason that he, he encouraged us and asked us to step out in front of our peers and, and just put some feet to our faith. And, and so what we're going to do is, is um, Matt's going to play a song. I'm going to give you about a half a song. And if you want... Um, all that God has for you. I'm asking you if you want to say yes to Jesus. You want to receive every gift the Lord has for you. And again, the, the, the package of the gift starts with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's saying yes to this third experience of the Holy Spirit. And, and you just want it. And you, you trust God that he's going to give you only good gifts. And you want to step out today. Or you need a healing. Or, or you want to just ask Jesus in your heart. You're only on phase two. God's still coming alongside you. And you've never really become a, a, a believer in Jesus. And today you just want to follow Jesus or just say yes to Jesus and you're only on step two. And if you're only on step two, I want you to come forward so you can say yes to Jesus and God can fill you for the first time with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're already a believer and Jesus is in your heart and life and you just, you've been already baptized and filled with the Spirit, but you want to be refilled. You know, you not only want to get under the spout where the glory comes out, you want to remain under the spout where the glory comes out because that's what the Bible teaches to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's something that we'll do all the time. Every day, every time I pray, I say, God, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. I want all that you have for me and I'm constantly asking, constantly seeking. But getting out of your seat and coming up today, it just puts a little bit of feet to your faith. After we sing, I'm just gonna, not going to do anything special. Just, just you coming up is just an act of faith to say to God in front of everybody, yes, I want to say yes to Jesus. And then um, I'll just pray for you. And then if you'd like, when we're done, the prayer room is going to be open today. We're going to ask you guys, if anybody wants special prayer, individual prayer, wants to, wants to talk about any of those things, the pastors, the leaders, the prayer team is going to be in there. Go out and make a left if you want um, special prayer. If uh, it's time for lunch, go out and make a right. Have a wonderful week. We love you. God bless you guys. Um, but do at least stay for one song for me, will you? Amen. Let's stand together. And come on forward. If you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you want to be prayed on, to say yes to Jesus, we're going to invite you guys to come on forward.